What's going on, everybody? Sam Brown here with episode uh, 14 of the In Between Sets podcast. Keeping this one short and sweet, uh, this episode is brought to you by practicemovement.com. Practice movement for all of your online training, coaching, programming, consultation needs. Check it out, practicemovement.com. In this episode, episode number 14, uh, that's crazy that that's where we're at. Time flies when you're having fun. We have uh, the world-renowned log presser, strongman extraordinaire, world's strongest man competitor, um, Bobby Thompson on the show, which is just crazy for me to say out loud. That's not really something that I ever thought I would say. Uh, um, He's an absolute phenom when it comes to strength and what he can do pressing, what he can do in, in just competing in strongman is absolutely unbelievable. Um, we have a really great conversation talking about training. We talk about uh, the ins and outs of strongman programming. Uh, we even go into uh, using equipment and going into all the a, a lot of the back background sort of information that you don't necessarily get all the time when talking about strongman competitions. Um, a lot of really great insight from a really powerful athlete that you'll get uh, if you are a strongman competitor, but if not, you still get a lot of great information when it comes to training, when it comes to coaching, when it comes to just becoming a better presser overall. Uh, Last week was Jimmy Kolb. This week, Bobby Thompson. You're starting to see how I have an affinity for people who can press a lot of weight. Uh, But without further ado, I want to get right into this episode Episode number 14 of the In Between Sets podcast with World's Strongest Man competitor, American Log Press champion, record holder, Bobby Thompson. And then we'll get this going. That's recording. This is recording. And holy sweet shit, Bobby fucking Thompson is in the house. What's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for having me. Man, I, I cannot... My strong man, just fucking background and just my, I just, I'm like just fangirling so hard right now because you've been somebody that I've been watching for the last several years. And it's just the shit that you do, your overhead press, just your, your strength is just getting up there year after year after year. And for those who don't know, Bobby Thompson competes world's strongest man. Like you're a, you're truly one of the strongest human beings on the planet. And it's so fucking cool yeah. that we get to sit and talk and talk shit. It's so fucking cool, man. So welcome. It's weird. I appreciate it. It's weird hearing that. Like I can, I can quantify that statement to myself now. So now it's like, okay, it's kind of cool. Yes. I've worked hard for this. It's still weird hearing that I'm amongst that group of people though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen videos with you and Brian Shaw. I've seen videos with, like it. And it's so cool to see the, just the strongman community rallying ra- around like behind you and, and just just every time you compete, it's like Bobby Thompson's gonna fucking win this. But and you just hear your name more and more and more. And it is. It's it's fucking real cool to see because how old are you? Twenty nine. Twenty fucking twenty nine. Cool. Like you're younger than me. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel younger than you. Um, I, I will say though, it's fantastic. I do garner. I, I I do myself and Trey Mitchell. We garner a lot of hometown hometown support. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that is just because we're you know we're two good old boys that made good. 
Like, I really hate to say it, but that's what he and I are. We're, we're I mean, we're big guys from no-name towns that didn't go play college football. What else, you know? We didn't have too much else that was really going to drift our direction. And, you know, I will say that in, in America, it's definitely Trey and I that garner most of the support. Absolutely, 100%. So what I want to know is some of your, your strongman history. You had said you're a, a, a big guy that didn't play college football. Like, where was the point where you're like, I'm just going to lift the shit out of these heavy-ass weights? Uh, so, you know, man, that was actually – it's going to be kind of, kind of stereotypical – um, but I was, I was an athlete for most of my life. And then about six months through August, my sophomore year, I uh, had a major foot injury. I'd already had surgeries up to that point to try and correct the issue. And it just got so bad that things couldn't continue. And then after that, I got into powerlifting. Um, and it was just kind of one of the situations where I was an angry kid. I was lost. Uh, had a lot of things going on in life. I didn't know how to process and, you know, I was doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing at the time, of course, but one of the things I became obsessed with was training. Um, and I didn't have, like, my parents, they were supportive, but I didn't have, uh, like, I didn't, my dad wasn't big into lifting, my mom wasn't big into lifting, so it was the first thing that, like, I reached out, I grabbed, I studied, I taught myself, and it was, it just blossomed. It truly did. I didn't expect it to put me where I am now, but... It just it took off, and then from there, I just slowly found other avenues to compete with outside of powerlifting, and stumbled upon the strongman. Mm. Now, did you find that obviously with the overhead strength that is Bobby Thompson, did you find that that you just gravitated more towards uh, certain lifts like your bench? Like, was you were, were you always good at pressing, or was this just something you developed over time? So I was always obsessed with overhead pressing. I have always hated the bench press. I still hate the bench press. I hate doing bicep curls. Uh -huh. I always hated doing bicep curls. So uh, I've always I've always been a good presser. I have, but I nowadays I bench maybe twice a year. Like that's it. And then I became early on. I was obsessed with squats, deadlifts, and overhead press. That's, like that and was that's just, that and was just always it. Again, I didn't. That's yeah. rare, man. Like that's like the overhead presses. If unless you compete in strongman, you don't see people doing that. That's not like a gym bro lift. That's not something you're gonna see at any other any other gym. Like nobody likes that shit because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It, it is hard. And bench press, for whatever reason, I mean, it was. I wasn't ever bad at it. Um. I did have a little predisposition that kind of helped. I have the, with the way my feet are, my big toes don't move, and they haven't since I was like twelve. Mm. So if you think about every athletic sport you do, if you're on the ground and getting up, or if you have to go do up downs and training, you pivot on the ball of that foot, and that big and that big toe comes up. Well, that's how you get off the ground. I never had that that luxury, so I had to be able to get my upper body far enough up off the ground, explosively enough I could get my feet flat under me. Mm. So I think I think years of I truly believe I think years of doing that as a kid may have may have given me a little boost on pressing. But that's interesting, yeah. Because it, and it's funny you mentioned that because I figured I mean years ago when I started strongman, but like the Olympic lifting shoes were just starting to kind of come into for overhead pressing and having that like foundation mm -hmm. to press off of. And it was like this light switch. As soon as yes. you threw those bad boys on, you're like, holy shit. 
this is like a different ball game. So, so and, I, had and, the, I hate him. Do you? I hate him with a passion. I had the, it sounds like you and I had total opposing responses to <laughs> yeah. Olympic weightlifting shoes. Yep. Absolutely. Like, and it seemed to work out better not, for you than me. No. <laughs> you know, it, it depends. Well, it, and it depends. I think when it comes to a barbell, they're probably the smartest thing to go with. Sure. Um, but in terms of get, getting weight overhead, but I'm not a fan of squatting with them. Um, I don't believe in having a 10 cent squat in $100 shoes. Sorry, mm-hmm. you can keep that. Um, if you can, you know, that's all. It's giving you a little extra ankle mobility. You can argue stability, but. If you have any kind of basic body awareness, you can develop that stability barefoot without those shoes and without developing patellar tendonitis and some kind of hip impingement, which is what happened to me. Yeah. But it, it, in strongman, where, where the barbell, it's not just a barbell that's going overhead. You see a lot of guys wear them on log press, which doesn't make any sense because a log wants to roll forward. That's all it wants to do. Mm-hmm. So why am I going to put myself in position to push my knees further out over my toes, even if it's corrected? by an elevated heel, I still have to drive backwards and I already start traveling forwards. When I dip, the log wants to roll off my chest to begin with. You miss it for it. Mm-hmm. Like there's just, it just doesn't make for whatever reason. It just, to me, it just doesn't make sense for strong men to wear Olympic weightlifting shoes. Unless it's an event where you're short and need to gain some, gain some height, mm-hmm. like power stairs or stones. But outside of that, I think Olympic weightlifting shoes are not worth, I would rather spend that money on food. You know, I like that. And, and that's something that, it, especially if you do wear that, I've, I've always worn them for logs since I've learned it. And it's always the, okay, this sucks with the pick because you're now in a shitty position. You can't like sit back into it. You're almost fighting that log even more. But then it's like, all right, if it's overhead, I'm more exactly. stable. But now, because I'm going to be shifting back into strongman for the next uh, after the, my meet in November. So I'll be going back to training for, for nationals for mm-hmm. that. And I'm going to fuck around with that because I never even thought like, I was just like, yes, this is what you do. And it's always that old stigma of like, oh, you just see you people like stronger than you doing it. And it's like, okay, this must be just the thing. And I, and I, I'm totally going to be like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm going to do a little bit more digging into if I even need them for that. And so that's a good point. You had mentioned that. And I'm like, fuck. That's that's a whole different perspective. Yeah, and, and I, I never recommend anybody take I never recommend anybody takes advice from somebody who is the best at something. I never right. recommend that to begin with. There's probably a reason outside of their shoes they are the best or one of the best at something specific. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a variable you yourself cannot help. But if you just look at the way log is set up, it just doesn't I mean, in theory with a log and really with any press. I don't think there's anything wrong with your knees coming out over your toes. I don't think it's unhealthy. I think it's perfectly natural. Um, but if you think about a log, if it's an item that wants to travel forward like a dumbbell or a log already, a circus dumbbell, why am I going to allow my knees to travel forward at all? And then I have to redirect my force and put my knees back over my heels before I start generating force upward. Mm, right. Like, that's right. And most people in a lot of amateurs work you well, I can dip further if I do it that way versus a plie style. Uh, like a, literally like if, if you watch a ballerina do a plie mm-hmm. and watch what their hips do. Their tailbone drops straight to the ground. Right. I was like, why am I going to waste energy redirecting my knees over my heels to generate force upward when I can bypass that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you're right because so that's just that. That's yeah. I, I think there is, 
there is a a I mean, granted, I've been out of strongman for a few years, like competing. I just competed again for the first time this year again, and, and it was awesome. But back a few years ago, it was how much gear could you wear? What can you, like, what sort of, you know, uh, positive impact can you have yeah. as a quick fix, almost band-aid? You see it a lot with like elbow sleeves, right? You see a bunch like super, like heavier and heavier and heavier elbow sleeves. You see competitors' hands turn in fucking like dead person gray, and it's like you just Purple. yeah, like you just see these, and it's like, are they you right? And it's like, are you uh, are you attacking a problem, or are you just putting a band aid on a situation instead of actually getting stronger? Um, so we were talking about um, the Olympic lifting shoes and and putting band aids on things instead of really fixing. Uh, a potential weakness or not just actually building real strength, just putting a bigger bandaid on, well, like thicker elbow sleeves or whatever you have. So what's your thought on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think there's a, I think there's a strategy to using different plies of gear. Like, um, they like servers makes a, a multiply, makes a couple different multiply sleeves and I like them, but I wear mine loose. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of compression, there's this really this false sense of trust in neoprene nowadays in like the fitness community. Like neoprene's a great thing. I love my sleeves, but strapping more and more on eventually becomes detrimental. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, you know, joints can't pivot to their full degree. Um, you can't clean an axle. You know, your your rack position's completely altered. Your body awareness drops drastically. So a lot of times, what you see is the guys that are shoving more and more gear on aren't ever going to be very good. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's in that, you know, in powerlifting, I feel like it's, it can be different if you know the gear, but something like strongman, it comes and goes in waves where people will just forget we have to be an athlete. And the more gear you have on, the less athletic you're going to be. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny, you see that shift in the strongman competitions as well. It's like they'll shift to crazy heavy and then they shift to like these drag races where everything's super fast and, and it's it, it it gets a little bit uh, as a competitor, as a, a novice competitor, or an intermediate competitor, whatever the fuck you want to call me. It, it gets frustrating because a, an event will come down to a half a second. It should be like a very clear divide between the people who do it and the people that can't. It shouldn't be the differentiation between how fast somebody clicks a stopwatch for strongman, right? So it shouldn't be. And for us, at least at my level, you see that's uh, that's more the, the heavier, the more drag race is more dependent on the contest. Like World Strongest Man is it's a notorious drag race. Mm. It 100 percent is a notorious drag race. Um, the Arnold Classic, traditionally very heavy. Um, they did hit a peak with a yoke run one year where it was like fifteen hundred pounds and like three or four guys got hurt. And then the Arnold made the decision, like, okay, there's a limit on that event. So they pay attention, but traditionally it's going to be the Arnold and then the Shaw Classic, which are the heaviest, heaviest contests. Mm. Um, and then Worlds is the drag race. But uh, rule of third, to complete the halfway, maybe 80% done, and then I expect a damn near another third. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah, that's, that's usually how you know an event's been been weighted correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, 
in terms of, I kind of want to break into the nerdy shit, right? Because one of the biggest po- like the, yeah. the comments that we get with bringing high-end athletes like yourself on is really digging deep into training, right? So I want to break down how you focus on not only building your overhead press, which is obviously record setting overhead press while not letting other things kind of take a back seat. Because I think a lot of people would fall into the trap of training the shit they're good at and kind of putting the stuff that they were like, eh, I'll make up for that with my overhead press or I'll make up for that with my stones. I'll make up that whatever. How do you kind of balance this stuff out, especially going into event like world's strongest man or the Shaw classic? Like how do you kind of work on that stuff? So it really depends on what the other events are going to be. Um, if so, obviously I look at my, when I look at events for a contest, I look at what I'm the worst at and what's going to require the most attention. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the event that's going to be the most, uh, most hostile event for me to recover from. So that's usually where my focus goes to right away. Long press or pressing tends to drift back just because I've developed such a base. So if anything, and actually my long press is, I would say it's declined a little bit since its peak because I haven't been focused on it as much. I've been focused on other lifts. Um, Mm -hmm. Much like you said, it's very easy to get locked into that. Oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing this because it's fun. But again, you have two stages of pros at my level, or excuse me, you have two stages of pros at my, at my level. You have the guys that use those events, the big guys, to get them to that next turn. And then you have the guys that make the turn. Usually the guys that make the turn, you see them, they stop pressing as much. They stop deadlifting as much. They start focusing on all the technical aspects of what it comes down to. Because what the difference is between an athlete making the turn and then getting their pro card, never doing anything with it, is that ability to get worse at your best event and get better at your worst event. Mm. So you need that one event usually up until that point. You need that one, I know this event, this is mine. So you're almost in a race to establish that. That way you can rely on that event, take a little bit more of a break, and then work on your your events you're not so solid with. Um, in terms of off-season, that's when you just I off season you do what's fun. That's usually the way I push it. You, you do what's fun, you relax. But in terms of contest, you have to prioritize by what you suck at the most and which event's going to be the most hostile. And there's a third category I look at at times, which is what's the what's the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. So usually deciding a factor events are going to be things like axle clean and press, circus dumbbell, bag toss, or atlas stones. Um, you look at those events that are highly technical that oftentimes the strongest guy at that contest will not win those events. Mm -hmm. They will not do it. Usually the guys that win those decision-making events are the most practical athletes on the field. So that's why you see guys like uh, Martins Lisi's, Mm -hmm. who every time he goes to a contest, he basically wins. He doesn't have a world record, I don't think. He doesn't have one lift he's standout at anymore. He's literally second place in every event, Mm -hmm. but he wins. So that's kind of where you have to race to get super strong. That strength will serve you well in the first few years, but then you have to become a practical athlete. And that's where most guys fail. Yeah. And that's a good point you make there too is, is, I mean, it even came down to, to my last contest I was in. It was, I won a few events, but like, it really was a game of like, who's coming in second. And then how are they stacking up versus like the other competitors? And you forget that it's, 
especially when you're competing, you forget that it is a game of points. Like you, it's a, yes. it's all about points. It, it doesn't fucking matter if you smoke the deadlift and you get a fucking 300 pound PR, you get the same amount of points as if you won by a fucking pound. Like that's, exactly. it, and you don't want to burn yourself out. And you see that a ton in amateur shows is they will blow themselves out in the first two events if they're max events. And then they are, like you said, as the, those events that are more technical come up, they don't have the gas in the tank. And they've made a dumb move by winning those two events and then coming in fifth, coming in fourth. Like, and then all of a sudden their points go to shit. Exactly. And that's the thing. As an amateur, if you see somebody, usually if you can see a true amateur that can win all out two events in a contest, usually that guy's going to win the contest. Mm -hmm. Like that's, and that's kind of, that's for my weight class. That's kind of the concerning thing is that if you have a guy that wins two events, he's basically going to win that whole contest because there's just not very, it's the quality of athlete at the amateur level right now in America. Isn't that great. Right. And when you see my weight class, you have guys that come to the sport because they see a weight class that supports them. But nobody tells them, like, dude, you're 300 pounds and you can't hardly press 100 kilo log. Mm -hmm. Like, you have a problem. Like, you're, but again, you, it's it's a reoccurring cycle because you see these young kids coming into the amateur levels and you have those athletes that have stayed at the amateur level, but they win everything they touch. And they're, they're, they're I don't want to use the term sloppy, but they're not what an athlete is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, that's why the open class. Like you have some studs coming up, but overall the quality of athlete I think is dropping a little bit because contests don't require the open class amateurs to be athletes until they get to the Arnold Classic. Right. Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh God, what is this? Yeah. And, and it's funny because I was talking to Alex Bromley about this uh, a couple weeks ago about how if the world of real athletes decided to come oh. into fucking strongman – I would be like, well, I'm well, done. It's, I'm done. <laughs> it's, it, it's already it's already happened. His name right. Is Mitchell Hooper. You're right. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, no I don't think like I, I like I've stared at like I've talked to Hooper a lot actually. I really like the guy. Um and I've I look at him, I'm like, you know, I can beat you. Like if I have a good day, I can beat you. Mm -hmm. But if you like if I give you an inch, he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's just gone. Yeah. But and the but that's there's him, and then there's a guy on Instagram, um, John Heck, I believe his name. He's What the Heck mm -hmm. is, his, is his Instagram. And he's like a strength conditioning coordinator at NC, I think. Oh, no shit. And I look at the – I think – I believe if I'm correct, um, he's, uh, he's he's friends with Joe Kent. So, like, I see mm -hmm. this guy, this guy that – and he's talking to me on social media a little bit. We chat back and forth. The guy's like 6'5", 330 pounds. And looks like he's two weeks away from a bodybuilding show, and it's got like an 800 pound deadlift. Uh -huh. I'm like, God, damn it! Stay where you are. Don't yeah. come here. No, we don't Do need you. We don't need you. No, <laughs> no, like, no. Go, you, go play football. Yeah. Like, but you see guys like that, and there's guys get real comfortable. Like, strongman is not a reject sport anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not for the once was has been athletes. No, no, like. You're, you're getting some people that are popping out of the wood or that are starting to show interest. Mm. Um, I'm just glad it's not only powerlifters now. Yeah, right. I mean, we were even. That was the thing. You what? That was the thing for a little while where you had elite level heavyweight powerlifters talking about they wanted to try strongman out. 
And it's like, oh no, don't do that. You stay right there. <laughs> like, don't, don't do that. Yeah, but then you see them lift a stone, and you're like, oh, okay, no, we'll be fine. Ah, <laughs> oh, crap! I, I think I lost your audio there. Yeah, I can't hear you. This is the, uh, the, the, the day of gremlins on the internet. Got nothing. Yeah, just, maybe just pop out, pop back in again. Yeah, I got nothing. All right, cool. We'll keep rolling. <laughs> All right, better now? Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I can hear you. Oh, well, you're even better now. Look at that. Sorry, tree just fell down. Holy shit. Everything is like falling down around us. Yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm on my uh, my back patio right now. My service is better out here. Now it's a wood line right behind my apartment. A whole tree just fell down. I was like, oh, that's alarming. That's, but that's fitting. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's yeah, it's the guys who you you stay you can get away at the amateur level being that way for so long. But the guys who don't want to become practical athletes and realize that they do have to be in shape now mm-hmm. that we have the introduction of actual athletes taking interest. Like this is going to be it's a it's a it's going to be interesting. But then we saw, I was saying we, uh, Williams, yeah, yeah Ray Williams tried yeah. to say he was going to try and like set the log press American record or world record a couple years back. Couldn't clean the log. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't get it close to him. So I see stuff like that and I'm like, you guys don't want to come. It's, I think like, I think like the 275 guys or the 242 class could do it, but I don't think the big guys in Pyro think can make, can come over to our side. Yeah. I mean, even you saw like Larry wheels, just like blowing out biceps, like almost every time he ever trained anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, but they're they're in our sport. I will say there is a correlation from the really lean guys getting hurt all the time or getting hurt frequently. Like the mm-hmm. tears, like we're all all of us are always hurt, but like the tears and the strains, those primarily seem to be the guys that are super lean. Mm. And and one of the things that I like think need the body fat for it. yeah, and one of the things I think people have a tendency of forgetting about is they think powerlifting strong and strongman strong are the exact same thing. There is some carryover, but you've been training the certain loads, positions, technical abilities to build up the body to be able to handle those demands from all those directions, right? A powerlifter has been training squat, bench, deadlift, right? And it's like, yes, they are strong. Yes, they are technically sound at those lifts, but the carryover to a fucking 400 pound sandbag or a 400 plus pound stone, or like there are those positions and postures and loads that they are not ready for. And they, they are, they are rookies no. when it comes to those, those positions. Well, it's a, it's a sport based on straight lines mm-hmm. and that's all their, that's all their movement patterns are based off of for the most part. 
you do have some people that take the GPP game pretty serious in powerlifting, and they do some really impressive stuff. But for the most part, powerlifting is a sport based on straight lines. That's what's what you're doing. And for to make it's it's almost you'd almost need about a year, I think, to depending on how long you've been powerlifting for. Mm-hmm. And I think you would need almost about a year to go from an elite level powerlifter to be able to safely do strongman at the open level. Yeah, um, and- I think that would be. That's about how long it would take just to get the body used to moving and moving in an athletic region. Mm. And it's it, it's why like if in any other setting, in athletic settings, is like they need to have an off season. They need to have you know a variance in their training to be able to counteract the forces that they've been you know adapting to, like you said, in, in those straight lines, right? So it, it it's interesting to see, and it's always inter- it's always interesting to have those conversations with people like. Oh, if so and so powerlifter were to do strongman, they'd wipe the floor with everybody. And it's like, eesh. like, do not take the technical skill out of completing these. It, the the one of the hardest things to do is to make a stone look easy, right? When you're first starting out, yes, you see so many people that are just like, yeah, it only weighs two hundred and fifty pounds, it only weighs three hundred pounds. I fucking squat six hundred pounds. I blah blah. It's like cool. But to watch the high-level guys like you yeah. being able to clean a log super efficiently, to pick a stone super efficiently, fuck, even the, the transfer of force in a farmer's carry or a yoke, like there is a technical skill with that I don't think gets enough credit. There is, and it doesn't because it looks like it looks, well, one with stones, like there's some events in Strongman you can look good doing. Right, right. Like an Atlas stone doesn't look like there's really any technical, like you're the mechanics of how you lift an Atlas stone go against everything we've ever been taught since birth. Mm-hmm. Like here, wrap your, you know, wrap your spine around this stone in a rounded angle and lift with your back while pulling with your biceps as this thing walks away from like, no, we're talking <laughs> to the option our whole lives. So people see that, or maybe they, a lot of it's the appearance. I think of strongmen up until recently too. They see the appearance or, they, they watch these implements that aren't meant to be lifted because they're not. They're meant for appearance. They're not meant to be moved. And they think that there can't be any technical reason or rhyme to it. And I was like, well, no, actually, the, the, each event is a craft of its own. You have to fine-tune. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's it's honestly, it's more about adaptability than skill. Um, that's where guys like, at, you said athletes, guys like Mitchell Hooper come into play. Like, we talk about, like, yes, I can clean a log efficiently. Stolman can pick up a stone efficiently. But the issue is that nothing is standard in our sport. So every implement we touch could and usually is different. Mm. So it's being able to grab something, map an implement based on how long the handles are, or, well, damn, like, this is a fixed axle, not a rotating axle. Like, those plates are thicker. Like, the ends are flared on that log. Um, That dumbbell's a spear end instead of an edged end, like, it's it's more the guys who are highly skilled do very well, but the guys who can adapt, those are the ones that win. Mm. Yeah, you're right because I don't think there's so, ever been a, a a show that I mean, granted there are shows that say this is the equipment we're going to use, but as you were coming up in the ranks, is like I'm sure you were at shows where like all right, we're going to use this bar, and then all of a sudden you get there and it's like what. And they're like, oh, we're just going to change the event. It'll be fine. And then like all everything that you've been focusing oh, in on. Oh, yeah. And no, no, that still happens. I'm at sure. Big shows. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that still happens. Yeah, no, it's, it, but it is, I think that's what draws us to the sport. Like, 
what pushed me away from powerlifting is that it was the same thing every single every single meet I did. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It was boring to me. Like I can appreciate it. I'm entertained by it. But to do the same thing every single contest, I was like, yeah, this is and I need something with just a little bit more kind of stimulation, I guess. Yeah. No, I agree. I and it, and it does. It provides that certain level of uh, just spice. You know what I mean? To training, to your competition day, to yeah. everything. But it's, it's interesting when you watch an amateur contest and then you watch pro-level athletes. One of like the minute differences you'll see is like where we all walk around tape measures in our pocket. Mm-hmm. Like we want to know like you're – yeah, we know what our yokai should be. We want to know how many inches off the ground it is. We want to know like, okay, how long is this dumbbell handle compared to the globes? Like – is the floor slanted? What's the floor made out of? Like all the little details that that's usually, if you see an amateur taking notes on that, that's when you, okay, that guy's probably going to make the turn. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's probably one of the big differences you see from the elite level of the sport versus the guys that want to be elite. Yeah. And that's like that minor, like attention to detail. Yeah. Now like, I know there are guys that uh, put, they put meat thermometers in their tacky. Get the fuck out. That's brilliant. No. Yeah. Put meat thermometers in their tacky and they track what it does, what different types of tacky will do in different like humidity percentages, temperature percentages, which is a huge thing. But like, again, it's, it's that attention, detail and adaptability that usually helps guys make the turn. Mm, yeah. No. And, and now in regards to what a, like if you had to build the perfect strongman competitor, what would you kind of have in terms of body mechanics or bot like bio fucking what their shape is and all this shit. Like what would you say would be like a just perfect shape for a strongman competitor height, weight, everything. That's hard. That's almost impossible for me to answer. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, you can't, you can't answer that question. Um, well, I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking about data right now. Mm-hmm. Like what data do I have to pick from? Well, you're, you couldn't look at the guys who have won world's strongest man. You couldn't look at the guys who have won worlds and the Arnold because they're usually the same guys within a man or two. So you'd have to look at podiums every single year that have taken place. Mm-hmm. And there's always a different stature of human on that podium. Like you have guys like Trey Mitchell who are he's big up top, small small in the waist with a belly up front, doesn't carry any body fat on his midsections, but he's got relatively small arms. He's got great range of motion. Well, then you've got guys like Zadruna Saviscus who had horrific ranges of motion, was 440 pounds, could barely looked like he was could barely move, but then could take off running. You have guys like Alexei Novikov who are small on the smaller side, but then you have guys like Terry Hollins who were highly competitive at both. 440 pounds and 400 pounds. So it's really like strongman. It's not so much creating the perfect strongman for any event because there are events that Brian Shaw sucks at because of how big he is. Mm-hmm. And there are events that Novikov sucks at because of how short he is. So it's not like if you had to ask me to put together, it would, it would be more intellectual than it would be anything else. Mm. Like I would want to pick like what the kid did, like before he started competing in strongman more so than I would want to pick his leverages. Mm. Awesome. I like that a lot. Because you can, yeah, it's, it's, it, 
it's it's a puzzle sport. Like you don't know with with powerlifting and any other strength sport out there, you can say the implement will be this size, it has to go this far, or it must go the furthest, or it has to go this high. This is how big the handle is. Strawman's not like that. Mm. It's not. It's all like the implements could be made by Rogue or they could be made by somebody's buddy who's got a welding shop who's never made an implement before. Right. <laughs> We've seen like, that. You never like because because nothing is fixed, you couldn't put the perfect body together. Mm-hmm. Now, what is your thought I mean, on the uh, kind of leading away from that towards it, but still in line? The like the the middleweight guys, like the two thirty one guys. Now they're hitting some fucking heavy, heavy weights. You're starting to see some athletes like Camby. Camby's doing crazy things. A lot of those two thirty one guys are throwing some truly amazing weights. Kind of to your point of the amateur three hundred pound athlete or the amateur three hundred pound competitor that can barely handle a hundred kilogram log. But now you're looking at these middleweight guys, and it's almost like they're they're just kind of just developing that class even more, setting that class to a higher standard. Do you see some of that stuff, and you go, "Holy shit! How can that little fucking guy lift that weight?" Uh, no, um, I, I'm not. I'm not surprised by the little guys anymore um, because the little guys they have less options to make events easier for themselves meaning that they have to be perfect. Like me, I'm a bigger dude. I just have more, I have more brute force capability and more ass to balance things with. So I look at the 105 guys and I'm not surprised they're doing it because they, in order to do it, they are forced to be athletes and technicians of the sport. Like you, 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 you just, you made a comment about like what would happen if real athletes started doing strongman. Real athletes are doing strongman. It's the 105 class. Mm. Um, but I also think like the 220 to 230 pound, even the guys that are like 250 and make that 20 pound weight cut and weigh in and compete in the 105 class, like that 220 to 250 range, that's like prime NFL running back size. Mm-hmm. Like that is what, that's what, like, if you look at NFL, if you look at rugby, um, I won't say track and field, but if you look at like the NFL, if you look at rugby, you look at some baseball players, like. These guys, or even like CrossFitters in the off season, like elite level. Some of these elite level CrossFitters are two hundred and thirty pounds. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You're that weight class of human for the most part. That is the deadly athlete class." So I think I'm not. I'm not too impressed. I'm gonna say I'm not not too impressed. I'm not shocked they're doing these things. I'm impressed, but I'm not shocked mm-hmm. just because of the freaks that have been not world strongest man size for so long and have been walking around doing everything they could. Now they've got a place to go. Right. Yeah. And that's actually a good point because Camby yeah. was a collegiate wrestler. Like he was a successful collegiate wrestler. Yes. Yeah. And Camby's not much shorter than I am. I'm only six one, mm. but you don't see I'm, I'm the odd man out for my weight class because of how much I weigh and how short I am. But the fact that I'm broader across the top than most people are tall, that's kind of like my genetic, like genetic makeup. What you see in the 105 class is you see guys that are definitely genetic elite, but they're closer to the normal walk around mm-hmm. than say myself being 350 pounds or Brian Shaw being nearly seven foot tall. Yeah. So when you have when you have more people at that particular size, you're going to have a more competitive class. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the things that I like to do here on the podcast is to provide my guests with an avenue to talk about whatever projects and whatnot you're working on, sponsors, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that you were posting up some programming stuff. What do you got going on with that? Uh, program stuff. So I do coach. Um, coaching is my uh, is my main is my main mode of well, coach strongman generals is my primary source of income. It's my only source of income. Um, I do coach. I have limited spacing available, and I'm at the point now to where I'm not necessarily taking any ad. Just anybody getting started. Um, I do have a kind of like an experience level requirement. I look for like a high end novice to a low end intermediate. Mm -hmm. um, simply because a high end novice has proven they're dedicated. They probably spent a little bit of money, a little bit more than they should, so they're involved. They're going to train hard. Once you get to an intermediate and you have somebody who's going into a high-end intermediate, I really only allow for one of two of those on my roster at a time because those guys in spe you know, specifically require a lot of extra a lot of extra push, a lot of extra advice. Um, for me, when we get to that point, when you have somebody who's a high-level or going to be a high-level intermediate, this guy's getting ready to potentially win the Arnold Amateur. Mm -hmm. Like that's like that's how I look at it. And I've got I don't want too many of those guys on my roster because those guys need a whole lot more attention than a high end novice or a low end intermediate would. So I do I do coach from a distance. Um, I don't have any slots open at the moment, but when I do have slots open, I do toss them up on my story and say, "Hey, I've got one spot open. Here are the required the the I guess the 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 required attributes that I will need to make this successful." Mm -hmm. Um, I am sponsored by Cerberus. I do some, I help them. Let's say, you know, they, it's, that's, that's a relatively standard sponsorship. Those guys are amazing. I love them to death. Um, they've gone above and beyond, but it's, I have my code I put out. I do some work with them. Um, in terms of, we've discussed doing some programs for them. Um, I think Ken Nowicki's got one of my deadlift programs he should be putting out relatively soon. Mm -hmm. And then I also do some free programming through the Strengthly Collective. If you want to go ahead and sign up there, um, that is home to my Bulletproof Press program which as far as I know, only four guys have gotten through completely. It is a little bit longer of a program, um, but it's, it's a whole lot of work. And, and I'm super pumped to hear all of those opportunities because I mean, years ago, and I'm talking like probably 10 years ago now, I was a member on like Brian Shaw's mm -hmm. first membership, like strongman site. And he ended up having to like close it down yep. because it got so big, like he got so busy somewhere else or doing whatever, but it was just, it's so cool to see the opportunities that you guys get at the highest level. And it's like, this is the, this is starting to get into like the fucking real deal, man. Like, and it's super cool to see because you guys earn it. Like you deserve to have these opportunities for the amount of time that you spent building and growing in the sport. It is man. And that's something else I can say. I'm, I have, I'm also sponsored by Massonomics. They've been a great, they're, Love they're talking guys. about doing some stuff to really help out my image, pushing me along. I have another, I have another company. I'm, I'm looking over, uh, we're looking over contracts at this point. I don't want to kind of come out and it's not, it's not like I'm partnering up with Nike. Just, <laughs> well, hopefully they will be the Nike of what they do. But, um, once that contract signed, I do have somebody else I'll be stepping out with. Uh, they're more of a, kind of more of an, more of an edible, not THC edible, but more of kind of like my first snack style sponsor. So mm -hmm. really excited to be working with them, um, their social media. And that's, that's kind of the cool part of this is that I was talking to the gentleman that is running that company and talking to him. I was like, what, what do you have coming in five years? And he's like, well, I'm signing contracts with 
with Wawa, Walmart, a couple other places. That's and I was like, deal. oh shit, where's that? Deal. He goes, yes. He's like, I would say, okay. So when we were, we, um, the value of a lot of that contract work comes from networking. Mm-hmm. I mean, most contracts were beyond the days of like guys just getting paid to exist now. Like it's not going to be a thing. There aren't sponsors out there. They're going to give you 10, 20, 30 grand a year anymore. Excuse me, just to have their stuff. Like there's work behind these sponsorships. And I think a lot of young athletes, they forget how valuable networking is. And they're going to take the first sponsor that's willing to throw them a hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but why don't you talk to that guy about who's producing his product? Like, who does that guy know? Like, who, who, like, who can I meet through this person? Because your first sponsor isn't going to be your last sponsor. And there's a huge chunk of this game that is business oriented. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the strong men, even at my level, like I would say a lot of my generation at my level, we get, they get run over by the sponsors and they get reamed. Like, it's like, do you, like these guys are, you're making them a whole lot of money, but they're, they're doing it for pennies. Mm-hmm. Like they're not coming out and saying like, Hey, this is my requirement. Yeah. And, and that's the, so, and then you see somebody like, like a Brian Shaw who has really capitalized on that and developed his own brands, developed his own companies, developed, you know, all that stuff that he's working. I mean, his, yep. his YouTube started. I don't know, a couple of years ago, and it quickly has surpassed. I mean, when I was with Elite, like our, we broke 100,000 subscribers, and we had a fucking party. We thought that was the greatest shit. But then we blink, and all of a sudden, Shaw's got like a million. Like, and it's like, how, he's, it's just, it is, you're right. It's a marketing game. It's a connecting game. It's a, it's a business. It is, but a lot of people, so I, I was lucky enough, Brian, I was lucky enough that Brian had me come out and, hang out with him for a couple days and train a little bit, get ready for the Shaw Classic. And I got a first look at what their day-to-day is. And you have to understand that everybody in that house, down to his children, they are team Shaw Strikes. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no, like, do you know, do you know James? Uh, um, James is, is Brian's camera guy. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, he's quickly becoming like another Romark almost. Yep. But I remember Brian and I showed up to train. I was staying at a hotel, came over to this place to train, and a semi-truck rolled up. And James's job is he's seen holding the fan, holding the towel for Brian at contest, but his job is pretty much all the media and scheduling stuff. Like, that's what he does. He does all of Brian's social media stuff. He does all of Brian's commercials. It's getting people places on time. Like, James does everything. Mm-hmm. This truck shows up, and Brian's wife comes out. Brian's uh, His mother-in-law comes out. James jumps in the back of the semi-truck. Everybody starts unloading protein. Like, but that's what happens. Yeah. So Brian has done amazing, phenomenal things, and he's capitalized very well. But understand, the reason he's been able to capitalize is because he's had that core group around him for so long mm. that everything that happens, even if James is James is you know doing computer stuff and Brian needs him to come help him train, James, James goes to help Brian train. Mm. Like it's everybody, you know, if a, you know if. Uh, if Carrie's doing something and a truck shows up, you know, she's unloading the truck with us. Like, Brian didn't ask me to help him unload the semi, which is getting done, so I jumped in and knew, I was like, okay, let me get up there and help James out. But you turn around and everybody's working cohesively for the same purpose, mm. down to his mother-in-law. So Brian has capitalized, but make no mistake, Brian's got one hell of a team behind him. I think it's a big reason why he's been so successful. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's cool to see, right? It's cool to see the – the, the progress. It's cool oh, yeah. to see the direction. It's cool to see what, what everybody is kind of doing. 
And it's awesome to see the interaction between you guys too, right? Like those are the best, those videos do the best for, for everybody's channel is the interactions between like you and Brian or like Brian and Eddie and like all, like all of these people interact and you turn into like, I don't want to use the word character in a bad way, but like you are a character in this world that people can follow along and see and, and, and just kind of develop. And it turns into a form of entertainment for people. And it's so fucking cool to see that transition to what you guys are capable of doing and, and branching out from just being superhuman strong to really developing for yourselves, a career, a path and a trajectory. Well, and it's, it's a unique part of strong man that people forget and it's a spectator sport. Like it is like, it, it is like, and you could argue that all sports are a spectator sport, but strongman isn't football. It's not baseball. It's mm-hmm. not water polo. Like people have to like watching it. People, they want to know us. They want, it's like you said, they want to learn that character so they, they can identify it with. And there are a lot of really good strongmen out there. Honestly, I think one of the strongest guys probably to have ever lived is a stateside strongman that doesn't really get too many shots anymore. Um, and I still think he's a contender for a podium spot at almost any major contest, but I think he missed the social media train mm-hmm. and hasn't been able to really develop himself on social media. And it's cost him quite a bit. It truly has. Um, and it sucks that social media should be that strong or that big of a, a role or have that larger role in a sport, but it does. So getting out there, creating that character, giving people something to see, something to like is it's become a necessary element. Mm. Yeah, and I think people forget about the whole social media game. It's it's when someone clicks on your name and it says follow, it's like you need to be doing something worth following. You know, I think there's a there's a tendency to be like, but yes. I'm just but I'm just me and it it's like no, you have to provide value. And it goes back to that sponsorship conversation is you're able to provide value for this company and they're providing value for you. And being able to have those intelligent conversations as opposed to like I'm just going to lift and train and you just pay me. Like no, you like your perspective on it, and, and I applaud you for how you go about it, is so cool and so intelligent to see because it's, it is. It's, it's a relationship. At the end of the day, you're developing these relationships with these companies, and if you don't like what they do or you yes. don't even know what they do, you're going to look like an asshole. Yep. Or the worst thing happens, they make you look like an asshole. Exactly. Like there's like they're, – they're, there are companies that I will not work with um, purely based off of just like, you know, just m- moral reasons, different supplement companies. There's one equipment company I will not work with, mm-hmm. um, but there's a few companies that I would love to work with, but I won't because of who they're associated with. Like, and that's and unfortunately like that is, that's part of it. You need to be able to develop that relationship with that person and you have to trust that company not to do anything stupid with your name attached to them. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the guys, like Cerberus was my first sponsor ever, um, and a lot of the guys, I've gotten, I've gotten some flack for sticking with my first off for my first sponsor. They were, I got two offers at the time, and I went with Cerberus, but I haven't pushed to leave Cerberus. Like we've never had conversations about me leaving, and I've gotten a lot of flack from that for not trying to expand myself away. But I'll have a conversation with the guys. I'm like, I know Ken Nowicki personally. Mm-hmm. Like that is somebody who I would stake my reputation on. I know he's a good man and he's a dude I'll sit down and have a beer with. Like that is like, that's I'm staying with Cerberus because of the relationships I've developed with them and Ken Nowicki. 
So, and a lot of guys, they miss that and they miss the value of that. And quite frankly, a lot of athletes get hurt because of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And it, and it's, you know? it, I, and I like to see this side of strongman, and I like to see this side of, of what you guys are doing because it's bringing that character, like the, the high level of just, just good people doing good things and supporting each other doing it, right? Like you had said, Ken, I've known of Ken for as long as I've been a strongman because he was competing. He was throwing some heavyweights around, right? Like it, yeah. he, like he was just part of the sport and you see somebody come from part of the sport, the thing that you love, developing a product, a line of products, whatever. It's like, of course you want to support that person because they have fucking skin in the game. They've competed. They've done things. They've, you know, they've participated. Well, they, they've done things, they've participated, and you also have to look at, again, it's who the person is because what you're doing is you're trusting this person to continue doing their job so they can give you money. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing. And if you, like, it's great if somebody starts off a company really well and they've got a lot of backing, but then all of a sudden the money runs out and they're lazy or they were lazy the whole time and they just had to bet the money on the front end. Mm-hmm. You've lost a paycheck, dude. Like, you're you're not paying your rent. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of guys miss out on it. And I hope uh, that's something I discuss with my athletes. That's the cool part is I'll call these guys up and I'm like, Hey, do you have any contracts? And they, they say, Oh no, but I was like, well, if you get one, you want me to look it over, send it my way. I'm not a lawyer, but I can tell you what numbers look right and what doesn't. Or I had a client who reached out and was like, Hey, this company wants to sponsor me. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what do they offer you? Like they're offering me a discount, but I have a discount code and affiliation program, right? And I was like, tell them you want $10 per post you make with them tagged in it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, why? And I was like, because you're selling real estate right now. They don't give a, they don't give a damn about you. Right. And I was like, that's all you're doing. You don't know these people. Like, yeah, it, it's not going to last forever, and you're probably not going to make any money off that affiliate. I was like, so get, get your real estate paid for. That's what your Instagram is. Get that paid for up front. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and they, so there's, there, there's a whole, I, I could tangent on that for way too damn long about how <laughs> strong men get screwed out of money for, and willingly screwed out of money. Yeah. 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 It's, it is, it's unfortunate because I, it, like I said, you guys work so fucking hard, like it, it, to get where you're at is not easy. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're a big human, but that doesn't mean no. shit. That doesn't mean like the amount of effort in like strong man hurts. Training strong man fucking hurts. I was talking about this with Bromley. It's like, if anybody's like, oh, you just carry that sandbag for as long as you can. It's like, yeah, it's a fucking death medley. It's like, you know how you get better at death medleys? Doing them over yes. and over and over and over and over until you want to die. Like, that, <laughs> it's a very yeah. short, short list of things to do to get better at shit like that. And it's like, you have to constantly bring yourself to that point to get better. And we're talking at your level a fraction of of a percent better to beat so, like and there are so many variables to the day like you had talked about and it's like if you're on your game and they're on their game and everything's the same it's like how do you get that fucking edge and that takes years and years of practice and dedication and, and like you had said adapting to the situation adapting to the competitors adapting to the facility or the place that you're actually competing in and there's a, there is an element of luck of luck to it as well. Like there really is. It's who it's what you said. It's who shows up on the day. And I've seen some contests where some dudes have shown up that weren't supposed to, and 
I've seen some contests where guys didn't show up that everyone thought was going to. Like, it just, it happens. It's an element. But it's funny because in the very beginning, and you you might be more in touch with this than I am. Um, in the very beginning, everybody wants the most intricately customized design program known to mankind in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, once you get to where we're at, our programs are incredibly simple. What gets complex is how we manage to eat and recover throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Like that that's like you, you tell me how you have enough time to sleep eight to nine hours a day and take an hour nap in the afternoon with getting your calories in. Like that's the complex part. The programming gets easy. So it's just that's that's it. That was something I didn't think was going to be a change. I learned, obviously, last couple of years, like the simpler my program gets, the more effective it is because then I can just go home and go to sleep. Yeah, because people forget that you're just trying to cross so, a threshold of change. Me. You know, you're just trying to put the input into the body to get the response that you need. And then once you get that line, cross that line, get the fuck out. Exactly. And you did your work. Exactly. And the input doesn't have to be complex. Like, it's funny. Are you familiar with uh, with the Stoltman's coach, Dan Hipkiss? Yeah, I know who he is. I've never talked to him personally, though. Do you know how he primarily programs for the Stoltman's? He uses linear progression. Mm-hmm. Almost every single training cycle, it's linear progression. And it's it's and he gets he gets ridiculed at the amateur level for it. When that came out, like oh, their training looks so simple. It is simple. Like you don't need to be doing smaller for log press or smaller for 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 your deadlift or your yoke or whatever the hell may be out there just because it's complex and there's a bunch of writing on the paper. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, that's, and that's, again, that's another switch you see. It's an odd switch, but it's another switch you see because in most sports, it's not like that. The training becomes more involved, more complicated in terms of like, if you were to look at football, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, in the very beginning, you do just anything and you get stronger. Well, strongman, you do just anything and you get stronger, but it's the only sport where they want to go make it more complicated than it is. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Like, and that's, yeah. and, it, and it's funny you say that because I I've had conversations with Ed Cohen and like his programming was linear periodization. That's all he ever did. He'd ran the same program his entire career and he got better every single meet and he just did more meets and he kept getting better. Right. And it was just a commitment to the process. And, and, yeah. and it's that, and, it, and when you get to your level, like you are surrounded by people that are committed to the process and it's like, there's a lot of intangibles, like you had mentioned, come competition day that, you know, it kind of just, we fucking see how it goes, you know, because you never know, like, what the situation yeah. may be, you know, what the weather's going to be in fucking Malaysia, or wherever the fuck you're going to go next. Like, you, you, that is a whole different perspective that people don't realize. It's like, you have to travel to these places. You have to go to these far off lands and figure out where yeah. you're going to eat what's you're going to, where are you going to sleep? Like what sort of transportation to and from are you going to have? Like that's, that's all very real. So we're very lucky. All of that's taken care of. Yep. Like all for, for us, like all that. At, so I like, if I do a contest, like a, uh, like uh, Gabriel Pena throws a, through a pro am this past year called Beerstone in Texas, mm-hmm. paid our own way. We got a deal for the hotel, but it was a pro am. I was there to support Gabe for throwing his first pro am. Sure. But every other contest that we do on the bigger end, they're paying for my food, they're paying for my hotel, and they're paying for my all, all of my logic. Mm-hmm. 
lodging and, and airfare. Like that's mandatory. Yeah. Like unless you're in, and that's just, I, the only reason that's not to sound snobby, but I, if I'm making you money, if this is an expo and I'm on a flyer, I'm not going to pay you to, I'm not going to pay for you to make money off me. Right. Right. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like, so, you know, if it's a smaller show, like I'm going to America strong, strongman corpse, America strongest man this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm paying, I'm paying for my flight to get out there. I don't mind doing that. Cause I'm supporting strongman corp. But also the issue we see is that you have these young pros that get their pro cards, which in America, America is one of the only countries that does a pro card system. It really doesn't happen anywhere else. Right. Part. Right. Um, but you're seeing guys like, uh, like America's strongest man this year has got a really, a really nice payout, um, significantly higher than any other national level strongman contest before it. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and went, Oh, okay, cool. Great. Surely enough, people are bitching that it's a pro contest that, uh, that they're having to pay to go to. And I was like, yeah, but it's, we're talking enough money that you're going to make your ticket back. You're going to make easily, I would say easily 10 times mm-hmm. if you take first or second place than what you're going to pay on a plane ticket. Yep. I was like, and you mean tell me you don't mind dropping that money to support the sport to go make money? Oh, yeah. Like that's 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 the other issue we see at kind of like the, the, B, the B-level pro leagues is that nobody wants to spend the money, put the money back in in order to go make it. So those contests don't happen and people complain about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, it's it's a... Uh... And it's cool. It's funny to see like just there is that progression of as soon as like you had said, as soon as somebody turns pro, like there's this there. I've seen it personally with people I know that have, that have gotten their pro card. It's like once they get it, they're done. Like they don't mm-hmm. want to get farther. They don't want to yep. get, you know, go to the next level or make the turn like you had said. So that's even more of a reason that guys like you should have the platform, should have the support in the sport because just getting your pro card is just getting into the door. Like it just invites you to the party. It doesn't make it make you a a high level competitor. No. And especially with the guys that are getting it at like nationals events. Mm -hmm. Like I will say, I like the, what I'm a strongman court guy, but I do like what I I speak loosely with this because I've, I've heard and I've seen some stuff. USS is doing some really cool things with their pro card program. Mm -hmm. Like they're doing some like getting guys, like getting athletes that win specific contests, like a monthly stipend for a certain period of time. Like they're doing some really cool things for their pro card athletes, which I really like. But up until recently, USS didn't have a pro card until recently. It's always been strongman court and strongman court when the top 10 or 15% of the athletes are getting pro cards and nationals, which happened one year or the top 5% get pro cards. Guys, the jump from what a pro is and the weights that are being moved at nationals, I mean, it's like it, just to jump from like nationals to the Arnold Amateur. Did you ever do the Arnold Amateur? No, I've seen it. I've seen that shit, man. It's crazy. Yeah. You Well, it's not an amateur contest. You have pros coming from different countries. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's what there, there is. There's such a big jump in talent division from what gets a pro card to what uses a pro card that you have to wonder, is this hurting the sporters and making it better? Mm. Yeah. It, 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 it is funny to see that differentiation is like, I'll like just for shits. Like you'll look at like the weights at nationals, right? It's like, okay, those are 
relatively heavy for sure. But then you do look at the Arnold and you're like, you're like, what the fuck? You're like, that's a, that's a couple steps in the other direction. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like it's, or you get these Eastern Europeans or these Canadians or like you get the Russians or the Ukrainians and then they come over here and it just kills me because you'll always see, and it's, I think powerlifting has the same thing, but you see amateur athletes that are, who get a little too engrossed in themselves. And I did it as well. I did this as well. And they start posting like their contest updates, like they're writing a manifesto. Like, I don't know how this one's going to go, but I'm giving my all. It's the, it's a, it's a huge step up for me. Meanwhile, it's a, it's like, it's a strong important national qualifier. Right. And it's like, okay. And I was like, we really need to give people a more realistic idea of what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and, and there is such a differentiation of skill between the people who win, even between the people that win nationals and the people who are in the middle of the pack. Like you, you see people, like if you were to look at the scorecard at the end of the day, you're like, why were the bottom chunk even there? Right. Like make it, make it a smaller show, make it a, a whatever. Yep. But it just, that's one of the things that I don't like about having such a big nationals is because it takes the it takes the the level of effort to get there and just kind of goes yeah just find a random show and just do whatever and then like you can go too and it's like fuck man like what the hell yeah like in, they were talking about putting a regional system in where mm. basically people had to you had to qualify at a local show for a regional event take top three at the regional then I think and then and it was based on how many athletes were in the class. And I looked at it and I was like, this is a good way to deepen, you know, it basically force the talent pool to expand. Right. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, it could be a more focused contest. The athletes that get the nationals could get more. Then you have these people crawling out of the woodwork. Well, what if nationals was as big a contest as I was ever going to get to? And now I can't even get to it. And I was like, and I, I would <laughs> see these arguments on social media and I heard people talking about this. I'm like, I, I, uh, wow. Um, I, don't want to dignify that statement with a response right now. Um, it's like, Jesus Christ, that is, that is what is wrong with everything. Yeah. Like you may, why did you make this too hard? I can't do it. Yeah. And, and that's and when people and start complaining about shit being heavy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Like I had a client who, well, I had a client who just did the, uh, it, they called it the USCS international championship. Yep. Um, you, you had to get your pro card to go. And then the guy who won that contest got a, uh, got an invite to the strong men's champions league. And then they also got like a monthly stipend. I don't know for how long, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a, it was a damn decent setup. I was like, that is cool to be doing for guys that are trying to get their foot in the door. But my client was like, how long did you, uh, cause they had an 1100 pound yoke. And he's like, your yoke at the shawl was 1100 pounds. Right? I was like 1117 or something. Yeah. He's like 30 meters. It's like, yeah. He's like, how far did you go? Or how long did it take? He was like, it was about 18 seconds. I was like, that was a pretty good run for me. And he goes, I don't understand. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, nobody finished it at our contest. Nobody could finish the course with an 1100 pound yoke. And he's like sitting back. He's like, it just, he's like, I, he's like, I thought we were pros. I was like, you guys are pros, but pro doesn't mean very much except for the person you're paying to get the card from. Mm-hmm. Like it's a status, but you have to understand it's, it's a, it's not a status that comes with the card. So, yeah, I, what I think, I mean, it, we're kind of coming up on the on 
about an hour and 15 or so total. But like I said, I, I truly appreciate not only your uh, the effort it's taken you to get to where you're at, but also your ability to just connect and open up and be honest with people and just have these conversations. It's it's really cool to see, and I'm pumped that I got to connect with you on this sh- on the show because it, I think there needs to be more conversations like this so people get a better understanding of what strongman is, what being a strength athlete is. It's like you're doing it right. You're doing it in a way that promotes the sport, that promotes the growth of the sport, that promotes you know all the right things. And and that's what I tell everybody that comes on the show because I don't fucking invite assholes that I don't want to talk to. I only want to showcase people yeah. that are doing it right, that are that are providing positive either educational material or just great coaching, great just someone to look up to in the sport. And I must say, like, I, I hope that you just continue your rise in the sport and continue growing and, and just get what you deserve in in the sport and from the sport for for what you do for it. I appreciate that, man. I, I, I really do. And I, I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, Strongman undoubtedly saved my life, gave me direction. Um, but I'm also lucky because there's like, there, there wasn't anything I was, well, I was a really good bouncer, but that's a whole other <laughs> set of 10 years we don't have to dig into. But, but no, like Strongman was presented. I got lucky. Like I didn't have anything I was spectacular at like football. I wanted to go play college ball, but that obviously went down during years and years and years ago. Um, but then strongman pops up and then an environment pops up with people in it where all of a sudden Bobby Thompson's not so weird now for acting the way he does. Like, you know, it gave, it gave me something to put all these negatives that had taken place in my life towards. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of go out and go tell my story a little bit, which it's, it's unique to get a chance to, because a whole lot of guys in my situation don't turn out, they don't get a shot. So so I'll leave the, the last words to you. Where can people reach you? Where can they contact you? What do you want to say to everybody? And just kind of the floor is yours. Uh, so you guys can get a hold of me on my Instagram page. My Facebook is up. I'm under Bobby Thompson. I'm not too active on it. Instagram is my primary mode of contact right now at Bobby Thompson Pro Strongman. Pretty straightforward. Um, please be patient my DMs. There's a lot going on there. So I do keep uh, coaching spots avail- when they're available. I do throw stories up. Um, it does kind of turn into like an audition platform. It's not the way it's meant to, just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, please continue to support Massonomics. I really like those guys. Um, just dudes being dudes who would love to do what they do for a living, but they have to be responsible adults. And so hopefully we can get them to that point. I know they really helped me out. Um, you can use my code Thompson10 with them and Cerberus. That also obviously comes back and supports me directly, but it also lets my sponsors know that I'm relative which is a great thing to be in the sport. And it'll hopefully continue to let me produce more and more content and hopefully help some people out of tight spots that I was in myself. That's fucking awesome, man. Uh, truly appreciate what you do. And yeah, those, those, those guys at Massonomics are the real deal. I got to meet them at the Arnold and I did a, I did one of their podcasts. They're the best. They're the absolute best. Um, so what I'll do is I'll cut the recording here. So thank you guys for checking this episode out. Please share, do all the things. I appreciate it from myself and Bobby Thompson here. Thank you very much for checking it out, and we will see you in the next one.